0: How you hear is sometimes as important as what you hear. Perhaps I should say it this way How you hear affects what you hear, or even if you hear it. Let me give you an example. After one of our very first dates, Kathy and I had the conversation to define the relationship. Now, after 36 years, Kathy and I have been entrenched in a battle about what was really meant by the same words that we both heard. And since I'm the one with the pulpit, well, dear, tough luck. (laughs) Let me just say it was clearly, from my view, one of those let's just be friends speeches. Guys, have you gotten that before, you know what it's like. So as a result of my interpretation, I did not call her again for many weeks. Kathy, on the other hand, believed she'd been too bold and saying how much she liked me, and that her fear was that she liked me so much that she was afraid it might all get messed up if we started dating, but she was going to give it a whirl anyway. She couldn't understand why her phone stopped ringing. How we finally got together is another story. It has to do with Size and the sweatband, but that's for later. <laughs> for now, just know that we had two Polar opposite interpretations of the same words. But, after all these years, I'm willing to concede that I might have been wrong. And here's why. Because I think a part of me was expecting that let's be friends speech. Anticipating it, because Kathy, I must say, was the catch of our very large single group. And all I ever heard was, she will never date you. And if I had a dime for every time I've heard in the last 36 years, wow, Craig, you sure married up. I could have written a check for the $100,000 repair of the ceiling above us. The point is, I might have expected to hear what I heard. What I thought she must mean by her words. So again, how you hear can affect what you hear, or even if you hear it. So as we come to the passage this morning, and in the weeks to come, how we hear is vitally important to understanding rightly what we hear. Because what we're going to hear are some of the most profound and sobering commands in all of Scripture. And these commands have been heard in lots of different ways. Sometimes for the blessing of God's people but often to their detriment as they hear something that's not being said but rather what they expect to be said to them. What you're going to hear God say this morning is you shall be holy for I am holy. And since I absolutely true and vitally important that we must be holy if seeking to be holy will not be to your detriment but instead for your good you and I must hear it rightly because we must be holy so if you will take your Bibles if you have one now and turn with me to 1st Peter chapter 1 if you don't have a Bible there should be one in the pew in front of you But when you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 1, let's stand together so we might hear read together the word of the living God. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... That you would give us ears to hear what your word is truly saying to us through the power of your spirit, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may thank you, you may be seated. Uh, can I just tell you this? During the offertory, I ran next door to get one of these, because my other one fell off. That's why I'm sweating. The good news is I didn't swallow it like before. But now it's falling off again. Okay, honestly, can y'all wait just a minute or it's going to pop all day and drive you crazy. This is not part of the sermon. When one has bifocals, he can't see to do this. Ah, technology. Is that better? No popping, I hope. All right. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Since this is a command, it doesn't come to you and to me as an option, so it's vitally important that we hear this rightly. And in order to do that, we're going to do something a little different. This morning I'm going to go outside of this passage before us, to look at the one who inspired these words, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, all synonymous for the third person of the Godhead, and to look at Peter, the man who actually wrote these words. Of all the relationships recorded in Scripture, the one between Jesus and Peter has always been for me the most challenging one the most inspiring one, the most hope-giving one, the one that exposes me the most, the one that teaches me the most. And one of those interactions between Jesus and Peter happened as they walked along the beach after Jesus was resurrected. And it's apparently the first time that Peter and Jesus have had a private conversation since the three times That Peter denied that he knew Jesus on the night that Jesus was arrested. Guilt and shame must have hung over Peter like a dark shadow as he walked side by side with his friend. But as they walk along the beach and talk, you know the story. Jesus restores Peter. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. A second time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus asked a third time, Peter, do you love me? And for a third time, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And between each of those questions and answers. Jesus says this to Peter. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so as a result of this walk on the beach. Peter knows that he's forgiven. Peter knows that he's restored. But beyond that. Peter is commissioned. Jesus turns the flock. His flock. Over to Peter. Not in a Pope sort of way. You'll find no support for that in Scripture when it's rightly exegeted. But Peter, along with the other apostles, are called to be shepherds in that Jesus, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, as he's called in Scripture, has given to his church, has given to his people human shepherds, under shepherds to care for them. Scripture says in Ephesians 4, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, bearing in mind that we're seeking how to hear rightly, let's remember then how Jesus, the great shepherd, the one who inspired this command, views his flock. And for this we'll go to John chapter 10. Jesus draws his contrast He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. I, says Jesus, am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This is the kind of shepherd that Jesus is. He cares for the sheep. He gives to the sheep his very life. And of course he's that kind of shepherd. Scripture said that he would be that kind of shepherd when he came to earth, Isaiah 40. He will tend his flock Like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently, gently lead those that are with young. That's the shepherd. And then, of course, we have Psalm 23. The most beloved, the most famous, the most comforting psalm of all the psalms. Why the love? Why the fame? Why the comfort? You tell me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We love this psalm. We're comforted by this psalm because it tells us of the shepherd's love for us. Here in the heart of the Old Testament that is so often and so maliciously maligned because it's accused of speaking only of a wrathful, angry God, we have Psalm 23. The Lord. My shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores, refreshes my soul. My shepherd doesn't abandon me in the dark valleys of life or the dark valley of the shadow of death, but he is with me, comforting his sheep, preparing a feast in the eternal dwelling of heaven. This is our shepherd God. And this is our shepherd Savior who said to Peter, Feed my sheep. And if you'll hear one more passage that describes how God feels when His flock is not well cared for, Zechariah 10, God says, The household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. This is the heart of the Father. And the Son toward their flock, toward you and toward me. And Peter knows that this is the the commission that he has been given by the Lord. He writes over in chapter 5, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, or under your care. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Apostle Paul writes similarly, speaks similarly in Acts chapter 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the same word as shepherd, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ shed his blood so that there would be a flock. He wants a flock. He wants sheep. And he did not bring them into the fold. He didn't bring you and me into the fold just to abuse them, to lay on them commands that would crush their souls, commands that they could not attain. One of the creepiest villains for me in all of movie history is the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Have you seen that movie? Full disclosure, from first to sixth grade, I had a Chitty Chitty Bang Bang lunchbox because I was so obsessed with cars. Well, the child catcher, with his flowery hat and his colorful cloak and his festively decorated wagon, calls out to the children, lollipops. Get your lollipops, ice cream, chocolate. I have some lovely goodies for you today. Cherry pie, cream puffs, all free today. And once the child catcher has lured the children, and once they have climbed up the ramp into the back of the wagon, the child catcher slams the gate, the sides of the festively decorated wagon all drop off to expose ugly black iron bars and the child catcher sheds his colorful cloak to expose a black one and he climbs up on the bench and he whips the horses and speeds off with the children he now holds captive sometimes i think because of the way we hear scripture we picture the commands of God in a similar way. The gospel is so beautiful to our ears when God first gives us ears to hear it. It sounds too good to be true. It's free today. The gospel of grace is free every day. But then after we hear it, we often stop hearing rightly. We stop seeing God, our shepherd, Jesus, our shepherd, rightly. Legalism can crush the glory of God's grace right out of us. And often because of the way we hear, the Christian life feels to us more like iron bars instead of green pastures and still waters. Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now listen, the reason I go to such length to talk about the way we hear is because we must bear in mind the green pasture, still water, leading hand, table-preparing heart of the one who inspires Peter to write this command to you and to me and to all believers of all time, you shall be holy Because I am holy. The command to holiness does not come through a pen that records the thundering voice or the thundering hearts of an angry hellfire and brimstone preacher. The command comes through the pen of one commissioned by Jesus to shepherd the flock, to shepherd. As he's been shepherded, to be restored, as he has been restored, to understand, as Peter has been understood by Jesus, to inspire the way Peter had been inspired. And so it's with the thought of a green pasture and still waters and a hand-holding great good shepherd that we must approach this verse before us. Because I've taken so much time and the prayer that we'll hear rightly, we don't have a lot of time left to talk about it, but that's okay, because Lord willing, we'll be back in this place again next Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, to keep the hearing going. But I'm going to ask you to look again in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy. How intimidating that sounds. Be holy, for I am holy. How are you going to hear that command? Let me make this observation. The verse does not say, Be holy like I am holy. Listen. That would be impossible for you and me. The holiness of God is holy or entirely beyond us. We cannot think or compare the holiness of God to ourselves. In other words, we can't find the best one among us this morning, the one who does the best, the one who seems most pure, then add a little more purity to that person and voila, there we have a holy God. God's holiness is other than we are. A.W. Tozer writes, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, unattainable. Sinclair Ferguson writes, God's holiness means he is separate from sin. But holiness in God also means wholeness. His holiness is his Godness. It's his being God and all that it means for him to be God. To meet God and his holiness, therefore, is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not man. Holy is the name that God takes for himself. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament. He's called the Holy One of Israel. God is also loving. But isn't called the loving one of Israel. He's also gracious. But He isn't called the gracious one of Israel. He's also merciful, but He isn't called the merciful one of Israel. No, He's called Holy, the Holy One. It's as if this one essence of God, His holiness is included in all the rest because Scripture tells us that God is light and in Him there is no darkness. So nothing that's not pure, nothing that's not holy, mars any one of the attributes of God. He is holy, holy love, holy mercy, holy grace, holy justice, holy righteousness no darkness in any of it so the command from peter here is not to be holy like god but instead it says be holy for god is holy that's the reason for our holiness because god is holy and so we have a reason for our holiness but not the quality quality of our holiness It's the reason we must be holy, because God is holy. I have to leave it here this morning. And next week we're going to pick up more on what it actually means for us to be holy and live lives of holiness. But for now, linger now. And through this week on the holiness of God, a God like He is, according to verse 15 has called you. A holy God has called you. And we're going to talk more about the call of God next week. But let me just say now that on the simplest level, this word call means to give a name. God called us just as you call your child by a name when that baby is born. And if we could hear God speaking, he would say this, I call you mine capital M, to be the Lord, to the Lord, your name is mine, Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine, a holy God, like he is, was not put off by your sin and unholiness or by my sin or my unholiness once God's holiness separated us from him that's why that enormous curtain heavy thick hung in the temple it separated the holy of holies The dwelling place of God from everyone else and everything else, the holiness of God, separated us from Him. But what happened to that curtain in the temple when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished? What happened? It tore in two from top to bottom. Access to God was open because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was perfect, and it was holy. We sing here all the time Till on that cross. As Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. God does hate sin. He's full of wrath against it. But listen, his wrath against sin springs from his shepherd's heart. He doesn't want his sheep, those he created in his image, to be so maliciously used by and destroyed by sin. And so Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. You open the way into the presence of a holy God. The wrath of your shepherd God, shepherd Savior, is not against you anymore if you are a believer in Christ. Is that good news? Otherwise, that would be imperfect justice. We call it double jeopardy in our legal system, punished twice. For the same sin. It would be imperfect. Marred. Unholy justice. For God to punish his son. For our sin. And then punish us as well. But God is not imperfect. And his justice is not marred. Or unholy in any way. And so Jesus bore the curse. Of our wrath for us. If you're like me. You feel like you fail in holiness. Do you? You feel like you fail in holiness? And because you and I know how often we fail to be holy, we believe God is against us. Can we right now in this moment of time put that lie to death? It's not true. Our shepherd is for us. It's through the dark valleys that sin creates in your life and my life that He takes our hand and leads us. And where does He lead us? Into holiness. Because holiness is good for our souls. Holiness is not of your own making. Holiness comes when you take the hand of your shepherd Savior. And then when you say to Him, pick me up, in your arms and hold me close to your heart. In that closeness to holiness, you and I will become holy. Let's pray. Father, we ask simply that you would help us understand your shepherd's heart toward us. Little wonder, Lord Jesus, that you are called the Great Shepherd. Shepherd us into hearing all that you command of us, all that you require of us. May we hear it rightly as coming from the heart of our loving shepherd king. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.